Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. Recently, uh, depending on exactly when you're listening to this, um, the iPad sort of celebrated its 10-year anniversary um, as, you know, from, from its introduction into the world, which is was certainly a little bit before when it was actually available to us, which is part of the story we'll get to in a minute. But it seemed, it seemed like a good point to kind of look back and talk about our various histories but developing for the iPad. And kind of it's been quite an up and down journey, at least for myself. Um, you know, from the earliest days when it was first announced and the sort of general sense of excitement and anticipation for what this platform might be, especially since it was like, you know, this is Apple's first new platform after the iPhone and every, you know, everyone knows how that turned out, um, to kind of where it is now, 10 years on, um, it feels like in a very different place, both in terms of you know, my interest, my the amount of development that I do for it, the amount of, that I use it. Um, and that just seemed like an interesting thing to look back because I think even beyond just like the interesting topicalness of talking about the iPad, like, you know, it's, we are constantly in this funny place of trying to decide like what, you know, where we want to put our efforts and what we want to work on. And I feel like sometimes looking back is helpful to just kind of try, hopefully learn some lessons about, you know, where, where we went wrong, where we went right, um, in the case of the iPad and how that might apply in our futures. The conditions around when the iPad launched were were so <laughs> unusual. I mean, as you said, like it was the first big platform after the iPhone. And unlike the iPhone, the iPad had two big things that were different. Number one, we already knew that the iPhone was, was a huge hit. So we had a pretty good idea the iPad was probably going to be a huge hit too. And number two, the iPad was launching on day one with the App Store. The iPhone didn't. The iPhone became a huge hit on its own before anybody could make third-party apps. And then we had the SDK with that we could use you know, as the betas on our, on our actual iPhones that we owned for a while, for a few months, and then we could release these apps to the store. The iPad App Store dynamic was totally different. The iPad was launching with the App Store on day one. We did have a beta SDK that we could develop apps with, but we didn't have beta hardware. <laughs> so, so we couldn't test out our apps beforehand. So we could develop iPad apps, but without ever having used an iPad. And we could ship them to be in the store on day one. And we knew from the App Store performance on the iPhone, we knew that we probably should be there on day one. Just It's a huge opportunity for tons of sales. and Everyone's going to be buying iPads and they're going to want to fill them up with apps like the first, when they, as soon as they bring them home or they're going to want iPad versions of their iPhone apps that they've been used to. So like, it was a huge opportunity for developers, but we had no idea how our apps would actually be on an iPad except what like the iOS simulator would show us on our computers. But that's very different and... I know. I remember. So this was, I was working at Tumblr at the time, but I was working on the side uh, on Instapaper. <laughs> it was it was doing well on the phone, and on the iPad, I I knew I had to be there on day one because I I knew like this is going to be pretty good as a reading device, uh, yeah, or as a web you know web article reading and browsing device. Like I better have Instapaper there on day one, and the problem was my first version of it was awful. Uh, because I, I didn't even have an iPad to test on. So my first version of Instapaper for iPad, it was literally just the blown up iPhone app. Like, cause I didn't really know what else to do. So like it had the same like navigation bar on top, giant stretched out toolbar on the bottom <laughs> that was super wide. You know, I didn't use split view. So it was just one big screen, one big list. <laughs> it was a mess. Um, but I didn't, I had no idea like 
how is this going to work? How do you hold this device? How big do things need to be? Like, and that, that was one of the biggest challenges of just like figuring out basic ergonomics and scale. Because that's like you can you can kind of make the UI look all right in the simulator and have a good idea of how it will look, but you don't know is this going to be way too small or way too big? Are these touch targets going to be too hard to hit or annoying? Or are you going to have to move your hand halfway across the screen every time you do this? Is that going to be annoying? Like it was such a weird thing, and the responsible thing to do probably would have been to just you know for, from like an app design and quality perspective to just wait till it came out. And start UI development then when you could get your hands on one and actually, you know, do it on the device. But that was that was too much of a miss for this opportunity of being there on day one that I know very few people who took that route and didn't regret it later. Like almost everyone I know who 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 succeeded with software at the time was there on day one with something. And they, you know, they just figured it out as they went afterwards. Yeah, and I, I mean I think I mean it was just such a like I think ex- like just raw excitement I think is the best description for like what I felt at that time and if if I remember right in one of the original like introductions I have this vague the strong feeling that there's this pic there was a video that involved Scott Forstall saying we expect it's going to be a whole new gold rush like I have it is just one of those like that was the feeling that I think everyone had that's like this is going to be like everyone knows what it would like be you know like the, the story of like the trism guy on day one of the iPhone and like how he made hundreds of thousands of dollars in one day and it was great um, and everyone kind of expected that with the iPod patent so no one wanted to not you know like wait wait it out like you were saying and I mean we just did all the absurd things we could think of like I remember I went to my kids um, bookshelf and I took off books like and weighed them on a kitchen scale until I found one that weighed <laughs> about the same as an iPad and was physically about the same size as an iPad. And then I t- you know, cut out a paper template of, of an iPad screen and like stuck it on this book and would like d- draw mock-up mock-ups on this and like hold it in my hand. So I had a feeling of like, huh, is this, you know, how big is this? Where would my thumb be, et cetera. And like, that was the best we could do. And, you know, it... In some ways, I, I don't think it actually ended up working out that poorly. I think most of the apps that it's like we missed a lot of things on day one in terms of the like the best iPad apps possible and that subsequently have come out, you know, did not launch on day one. But I think the impression, you know, most people's sort of approach was just to have a blown up iPhone app, which in many, you know, in many cases works fine and was better than the, you know, the, the, the little like iPhone simulator size thing that the iPad would do otherwise uh, for your application when you need to hit like the two X button in the corner and like grow it to be sort of like a blown up iPhone app, but not nearly as good as if you just blew up your iPhone app into an iPad and like that worked. And in general, I think, and I don't regret trying to be there on day one. And I mean, I went down like the crazy route at this point. I think I launched on day one, something like seven iPad apps. You, you know, and like i just because i just went down this road of like i'm just going to come up with everything i could possibly think of that um someone might like on a on an ipad and most of those none of those apps really went anywhere or made a lot of money but i was there on day one and i was like putting myself in a position to you know if something had caught on or had something had been successful you know i was i was in i was in the running if if even though i didn't quite win out in that particular case yeah i also was like making paper models and stuff i remember like i would print out screenshots from the simulator try trying to match their size on paper to what the actual screen would be so i could at least have some idea of like 
is my interface appropriately sized or like what should the default text size be in my article view for Instapaper? Like it was, it was such a thing. And, you know, people were making wood mock-ups with like laser cutting wood factories and stuff. Sure. <laughs> like it was, it was a crazy time, but it was, it, it was great. And, and being there on day one, it really was a gold rush. And, and unfortunately, you know, I think, I think since then, the the gold rush aspect of the iPad dropped off pretty quickly. Uh, it was it was healthy for a while as a casual gaming device. That I think was one of its very most successful uses for that first uh, couple of years. But ultimately, I I think the iPad became a more complicated selling proposition for lots of reasons. I mean, first of all, back then. Uh, in-app purchase was in its early days. There was no subscription billing. And so paid applications mostly made money by paid upfront purchases. And the iPad came out and there was this question of whether you should have a separate version of your app for the iPad that you charge separately for or whether you should just make it a universal app, which comes with other benefits like in the App Store and everything. And that really threw a wrench on a lot of people's uh, businesses and plans and a lot of that has not really quite been resolved even today and and you know probably never will be um i think it's interesting to look back on like the business side of the ipad because for so many apps it it is either the only platform that they make sense on like something like a like a drawing app or like a high end photo editor app or it's it's like their primary platform where like it mostly makes sense on the ipad but they happen to also have made an iphone version but the entire time the ipad has been out even those first couple of years when it was like really booming, there have been way more iPhones than iPads like in the user base. And so the user numbers on the iPhone were always way higher. And so it would, it would kind of draw your focus financially on that because you'd want to focus on the thing that was making you more money, getting you the most users, and that was usually the iPhone. But then the iPad, you could do really cool things with, with the iPad's capabilities and the giant screen and everything, but it was hard to fund that without like you know a a kind of a healthier app store economic situation and so and we still face that battle today uh it's it's actually i think possibly even harder today Uh, although uh subscriptions and and you know free upfront apps being pretty prevalent uh, i think makes that a lot easier but still like those early days i mean i was lucky because the ipad was indeed very successful as a reading device and i happened to be making an app that enabled you to read. <laughs> so it was it was great for Instapaper. Like it's no accident that the iPad came out in early 2010 and I left my full-time job in late 2010. Those are those are connected. The iPad more than doubled my income when it came out. Was Instapaper universal at the start? I pretty you know, I was just trying to remember that. I think it always was, but I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure it was. Sorry if I'm wrong. Anybody who is an Instapaper historian, <laughs> sure. But uh, anyway, so like I didn't. I I made the decision to just make it one app uh, and just make it universal. Make it run on the iPad, and that for my business that definitely worked out. I mean, 2010 was one of Instapaper's highest grossing years for the, during the time I owned it, um, and pro- possibly ever. Uh, and I think 2011 was the highest grossing, and then it went down. You know, kind of as the iPad mania started to fade after that. But but like it was. It was such a great market for Instapaper because it was about reading that I think my usage stats, uh, you know, a few years into the iPad existing were something like it was 50% usage was on the iPad. 
And given the install base difference between iPad and iPhone, that was incredible. Whereas now on Overcast, which is about listening to audio, which is something that is way more common to do on a phone than on a tablet, like by a long shot, it's something like 96% phone, 4% iPad. You know, it's, it's something along that, that, that range of like, now the iPad app is really kind of a, a side effort, although I use it every day because um, I, I, that's kind of like how I play podcast in my kitchen and dining room area like around the house. But uh, most people don't <laughs> use that. So like it now my business choices might be different. Like it's, it's not worth investing heavily into the iPad interface now, whereas it was back for Instapaper. And I, and I did. And I, made, I made a whole custom UI eventually. Like it, it was really nice, actually. And I think a lot of that is still there in, in the current Instapaper app that's out today. Um, that somebody else manages but it was uh it was quite a ride for instapaper but it for a lot of other apps it wasn't like it was very lopsided like you know certain apps that made sense were basically you know content consumption content creation and games did fantastically but a lot of the like kind of more general productivity or general utility apps really didn't do very well there what what did you find worked on the ipad yeah i mean i think the big thing that the biggest thing with the iPad was that it, in many ways, it reset the sort of rush to the bottom that had been sort of had lived itself, sort of, sort of had gone full cycle on the iPhone. That I feel like the there was a you know, at that point on the iPhone, you know, we were already in the world of charging more than ninety nine cents for an application was you know, a high price and was, was it was difficult and was challenging and free was becoming a bit more of a thing. And that had put a lot of downward pressure on it. And I feel like there was this very, like, short period, you know, maybe, I mean, short, short, and short in, the cor- in the context of 10 years, but, you know, maybe the, for the first year of the iPad, there was, I think, this feeling that, you know, you, it was more like $4.99, $9.99 became, iPad, like, iPad app pricing. Um, and so during that period, it worked, re- like, I had, I think my most successful iPad app was a recipe organizer. And it, you know, it was a paid up front and it did very well. And I think in many ways it was the, you know, it was competing against a lot of free, you know, like the Epicurious, like the big recipe websites, they had free apps, but there was still an appetite to pay for apps, I feel like on the iPad. And it was sort of this, you know, and some of the, it was, you know, there was this re- just refreshed, um, like interest in that from customers that I think eventually just sort of tapered off and, you know, the prices started to come down and then the economics started to get more complicated. And the nature of iPad apps is like doing a really good iPad app is in many ways more difficult than an iPhone app. And certainly it is a additional work to beyond the iPhone app. And the iPhone app is you became so essential and so front and center for most of my, the things that I work on at the iPad became kind of this extra thing. And then the economics of it started to fall down where rather than being four ninety nine, nine ninety nine, you know, it became, you know, the same thing, one ninety nine, ninety nine cents are free. And like the it didn't have the volume to kind of keep up with the iPhone at that point. And then it kind of all fell down. But I mean it was also kind of a rough thing because I remember right when it was happening, like there was this question about where pricing on the iPad was going to go. Because on the Mac um, you know, the pr- pricing is broadly speaking much higher that I think a, like a more common price for a piece of Mac software, um, kind of in the, you know, indie productivity or similar kind of world would be like, you know, $19, $29. Like that's kind of a more like a common price and then things go up and down from there, but it wouldn't be, un- wouldn't be crazy if you see an, a, a Mac app that was $19. 
But I feel like the iPad, it sort of right from the start, almost in some ways had like half of its potential taken out because it seemed like $9.99 was the most expensive that anyone sort of wanted to go. And I'm not sure if I vaguely remember even too that some of the apps that Apple was promoting like at their events and things, that that was the most expensive app that they were talking about. And that kind of just like set the ceiling that subsequently just kind of felt like it's like if that's as high as it's going to go and then it just, you know, over the next year, it just kind of fell down from there. Like it just kind of took took the wind out of it um, pretty quickly on the business side. We are brought to you this week by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's entire infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. They now have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest one in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. I've been a Linode customer for the better part of a decade now. I think almost since as long as the iPad has existed. And uh, and I've, I just love it. I've used so many web hosts in my career. And Linode is the one I've stuck with the longest because they're just the best. Not only does it give you really good power, really good flexibility and everything, but it also is a really good value. Like it, Their plans start at just $5 a month and they scale up from there depending on what you might need. And it's just the best value I've seen in the industry for the entire time I've been there. It's not like it's a one-time sale. Like They're always the best value. So check it out today, and you can get a $20 credit with code RADAR20 when you create a new Linode account. So, And they're also hiring right now. If you, you know, listeners of the show, if you want to be that, that kind of field, uh, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Otherwise, everyone else, check out Linode with that promo code RADAR2020, and you will get a $20 credit towards your next project. So, one last time, linode.com slash radar is the URL, and promo code RADAR2020. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show, all of the things I host, and all of Relay FM. So I'm curious, like, you know, the iPad, it had this amazing, like, you know, rise and then kind of fall into stagnation and, and disappointment after a few years uh, from both customers and developers. And then it kind of went back up again as the the rise of the iPad Pro has happened and as Apple has gone down market with some of the entry level models. And it seems like the last couple of years have seen a nice turnaround in like sales and, and usage of the iPad. Uh, but what do you think? I think let's let's spend the rest of the episode talking about like, what do you think is the future of the iPad and the, maybe the present situation economically? Like, there's all sorts of stuff we can talk about with the UI and multitasking and hardware and everything else. But just the like app economics. What do you see today, and what do you see being like the near term future? I mean, it doesn't look great, um, or at least it's certainly not for the kind of the, the, you know sort of the, the small indie developer necessarily. Like, I feel like it's still it's stuck in this kind of awkward place between um, like they, it doesn't have a large enough uh, user base that is in sort of either, either ex- interested in or expects to sort of spend lots of money to support their apps. And so it's a hard platform to be motivated to try to, to, to make a run at and to, and to, to get working on that. You know, by by and large, the most successful applications right now on iOS are going to be, you know, they're free up front, and then they either charge you a subscription or they show you advertising or they do both. Like that is, I think, by far the most sort of successful business model that we have right now. And like you can sort of make that work potentially on the iPad if you have something that is, you know, sort of very compelling and very 
um, professional. Like I think of the, like the procreates and Adobe and like the really kind of like actual professional tools. Um, but the awkward thing and like the, the like the catch 22 with those is like you can make good money if you have a really sophisticated app. But in order to build a sophisticated app, you need lots of time and resources that you then are taking a huge risk on then being able to turn around and support long term. And like that's like that cycle of me, you know, sort of you have to build this big, expansive thing before you can um, garner that kind of success and then but you can't garner that kind of success without spending all the time. Like feel like makes me feel like the iPad is just kind of in this stuck like middle ground that it's, it's hard for it to be a focus or to be a platform that makes a lot of sense unless except for very few sort of select things. And that just kind of limits the richness of its ecosystem. And I think too, while the iPad, the sales and the volume of it um, has, is relatively good in terms of just like from a volume perspective, like my expectation and my just from anecdotally, like where I see iPads in the world is like 60, 70% of iPads are used as a tool for like watching video. Um, and like probably half of half or two thirds of that are like, it's, you know, the iPad being sort of put in front of a child while they're like um out with their out with their parents or like getting their screen time or whatever like that has become such a ubiquitous part of culture but i don't think that like that particular market is something where there's a huge like economic pull like that that is for the like the netflix of the world um or, you know and the amazon prime and like there's a few other like things like that that are going to be like who can make use of that but it means that of this, you know, relatively like growing user base potentially, like there's just not as much interest in like rich, deep, you know, applications. And there's going to be exceptions and there's going to be people who are doing tremendously powerful things and people are building really clever, you know, sort of applications for the iPad, but it's not a mass, as ma- not mass market. And it's not in some ways nearly as mass market as uh, even the Mac is. Cause I think with the Mac, while, and like not to get into the it's just like that you can't do real work on the iPad because you absolutely can, but I think there's a broader expectation of people or a broader audience of people who are doing or already doing real work on the on their Mac than are doing that on the iPad, for example. Yeah, and like that means that they're just like if you wanted if you wanted to spend you know you're going to spend three months building a productivity tool. My suspicion is you have, might have a better better sort of better luck for with it on the Mac than you would on the iPad. Um, and so like that puts it in this really awkward place. And I mean, personally, I haven't, I haven't developed really for the iPad in probably four or five years now. Like I've done a few bit of bits of compatibility updates for my, you know, older apps that I still have there and things, but you know, I, I don't, I don't develop for, I have no idea about like how a lot of the stuff works anymore. It's, you know, I haven't bought iPads for development. Like there's a, you know, I've bought, I have, I have one of every iPhone that exists, you know, so sort of since the iPhone 3GS in my office, I have like an iPad somewhere in the house <laughs> that is usually used for watching, like, you know, for my kids or I to watch video on, like, it's just fallen out of my life. And I'm not sure I'm representative of all developers, but for me, that's just kind of where it went. It didn't become a part of my own life. And then the economics weren't there for it to like sustain itself um, as part of my developer life. 
Yeah, I think in in a lot of ways, it's it's almost like on a continuum where like you have like general purpose software and market on one end, and that's where you have the Mac and the iPhone, and then you have the Apple TV on the other end, where it's like almost no types of apps will succeed here, but a couple will succeed well. Um, you know, Apple TV is like all about video and a little bit about games, and nothing else makes any sense there. You can make other things on there, but no one does and should. Uh, and and the iPad is somewhere in the middle. The iPad is a device where it actually makes a ton of sense to make your app for the iPad if your app is in certain markets. I would say definitely if it's about uh, video consumption, absolutely make an iPad version. If it's about photo editing or drawing, the things where the iPad's really good, absolutely make an iPad version. But it's, it is, in reality, you're right. Most iPad usage does seem to be content consumption. And so it's like, if you're making games and video stuff, great. You'll probably succeed there. Um, but if you're making productivity apps, it really depends. It, it, it depends on so many things. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of the difference is like, you know, as much as Apple has pushed the iPad into like pro roles in, in its marketing and in its pricing, ultimately the, the like majority of what Apple would even classify as pro work uh, still happens on Macs and PCs way more. Uh, anything, and, and a lot of that's because of just inherent you know, issues with dealing with things like files and file-based projects and multiple apps uh, on the iPad. But like, the reality is most pro work is done on PCs and Macs. And where the iPad can really shine is in a similar way to where the iPhone can shine. It can shine in like a casual version of pro work, like a more accessible version of tasks that are commonly done only on pro software on computers. So for instance, photo editing is a great example. Like on the Mac, you have Photoshop, and you have some smaller ones. You have things like Acorn, Pixelmate, or uh, but like most photo editing on the Mac is being done by pros in Photoshop, probably right. And those people are never going to go to iPad in meaningful numbers because their whole workflows around the Mac and everything. You're never going to get those people. They don't have them now. They try, but they don't have them now. But something that like I don't have a pro drawing app on my computer because I don't need pro drawing ever. But I do occasionally like casual drawing. And you know what's really great at casual drawing? Linnea on the iPad. Like, it, and, and there's so many other things like that where, like, I don't, like, you know, most people don't need, like, logic on their computer, but they might have fun playing around with GarageBand on the iPad. You know, like, and, and so for, for, like, the more, like, the more casual and accessible version of things like that, even, you know, outside of Apple's offerings, like, the, like there's this great series of, of music synthesizer kind of apps for the iPad. Like, I, I played with one called Oxy a while back, where it's, like, the, you know, this super accessible, simple app for making loops and music and stuff, and it's incredible. And, that, and, like, on the Mac, you don't have stuff like that usually. So, like, I think there is opportunity for, like, productivity-style apps or creation-style apps on the iPad, and for real businesses there... If you keep it casual, if you keep it accessible, if you keep, if you're not trying to be the next Photoshop or the next Logic, like because you won't, like <laughs> you won't succeed in that, and that's why I, th- I think like Linnea is a great example of like this is an app that is uh, by the Icon Factory, and it's like it's a it's a drawing app, it's a really good drawing app, but it's not Photoshop and it's not Illustrator and it's not like it's not one of the you know Procreate, another great example, Procreate on the iPad is a fantastic drawing app because this is like taking advantage of something the iPad can do well and that people are actually doing on the iPad as opposed to like, you know, like, like, you know, you might get a distorted view of how much productivity work is being done on iPads if you listen to, you know, like our friends who all love iPads a lot and try to use them for as much as they can. But I think the reality is you're right that most iPad usage is consumption-based and casual creation like this. 
And so if you want a, a decent chance of succeeding business-wise on the iPad, those are the areas you should be focused on. And if you want to do something like make a, you know an entire like you know Photoshop or audio editor kind of thing for iPad, like you can try, but it's go you're going to have an uphill battle business-wise. Yeah, and that's just like like and that's the unfortunate reality, I think, is that it's like you can you can try, but it's going to be a hard thing and it becomes a question of or you could like do something on the iPhone where you have, you know, I don't know, 10, 100, 1,000 times more users who you could potentially, you know, get, get your app in front of. Um, like, like I think that ultimately with me, what ended up happening is it's like the iPad, there's so there's a lot of potential, but there, its potential is sort of overshadowed by it, the iPhone, and it doesn't have this inherent sort of pull for it on the economic side. And so you just kind of end up like, you could... And some people do, and I'm sure some people find success, but it's, you know, it's, it just isn't compelling in the way that, you know, developing for the iPhone is and continues to be. You're you're playing on hard mode, basically. If you're making an app that's only for the iPad, that's not going to have a successful iPhone companion app. Like you're, you're playing on hard mode economically. Yeah. And some people like playing on hard mode and like, if that's you, great and you know like enjoy it but i'm not sure i would recommend that um necessarily if you're for you know if you're, if you're an independent developer trying to make a sustainable living and someday i think catalyst might change this for some things but so far it hasn't yeah so it it, it, it neither as swift ui or any of these things like there's a lot of the, the it's like the ipad lots of promise it hasn't really panned out though but someday but someday uh, every every is the year of you know iPad productivity explosion or on something. the desktop yeah <laughs> on the desktop <laughs> thanks for listening everybody and we'll talk to you in two weeks bye.